Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is Julie Bates with the podcast, Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 195. And today's episode, I had a, another plan for things with some listener questions and stuff, but, but a comment was made, a real interesting comment during some people that came by to visit uh, and just watch uh, dog training and stuff. They were scoping me out a little bit. And they had asked a question. We were doing uh, upland work, which is time-consuming. You know, there's a lot to it. And uh, we were doing that, and they were watching dog after, after dog going out there. And, and their question was, so, so what are you going to do next today? How many, how, you know, how long do you work? What's, how much, <laughs> what do we do next? And I went, well, depending on how this went, these dogs won't, this will be what they do today. And I could see they were questioning my probably uh, work ethic, maybe. I don't know. But I, it made me really realize as I'm trying to, I, I try to explain to them the approach to dog training. And it made me realize that this is actually a, a really important topic that uh, to some people, they know this really well and they don't need to hear a bit of this. And some other people might not ever really have thought of this, particularly, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're fairly new to uh, field training, serious formal field training. So I thought I would talk about uh, some things that I have learned from dogs over the years uh, that answers their question and also just gives a little food for thought again, my favorite thing to do, to people that are training their own dogs. So I know what people often think. One of the questions I get when people uh, bring dogs by and, I, you know, because I train everybody else's dogs and deal with everyone else, it, it gives me a really good insight into what a lot of the dog training public, uh, what their perspective is and, and what they, you know, what they think about this. So these people were very concerned with um, how much of the day their dog would be busy and active and doing things. Because like most of us, they have a very high energy youngster. Uh, high physical energy, high emotional energy, high mental energy. And so the more the better you do with this dog has to be the right thing. And I know that, I know that's what people think, particularly if it's your first retriever puppy, <laughs> you get your first one. And there was something that I had put, copied, borrowed, and put on the Facebook page for this, this podcast was <laughs> was the lifespan of a, of a, it was a Labrador, I believe, and it just shows a cute little puppy. And then it has a, a Tyrannosaurus Rex from ages, I don't know, four months to nine months or something. Or, no, four months to probably two years or three years. And then a real nice mature lab again. And that's very true, not just of labs, but of a lot of dogs. And certainly our sporting guys, they're very much, it can be a a high energy handful. And so people look at that and feel that more activity is better and people take them to doggy daycare so that they run all day long with other dogs or they go to the dog park so they run with other dogs and believing that that is a good thing to do for these little Tyrannosaurus Rexes because they have so much energy. So the question about, well, what do you do after this? Because certainly I must do a, a whole lot more. And again, it depends on a lot of things. But basically, no, I don't, I don't have, I don't try to fill the day with things. Because in my opinion, that is not 
the right approach to training uh, anything for anything. So if you are a, and you know, I, I always go back to the athlete thing because these guys are athletes. They're, they're scholars and athletes at the same time. So I can liken them to a college athlete, somebody that's there to participate at high level sports and also higher level academics at the same time. And that's what these guys are doing. And the academics in the end, just like with people, ultimately is going to be, again, my opinion. I was a college athlete, and I finally stopped my sport because I couldn't do well at both. And I went with the academics as the more important thing. Thank goodness. I got the rest of my life for that other stuff. And I feel very strongly uh, about that way when you're educating a dog. Athletics, very important. Academics, most important. And believe it or not, academics is uh, the majority of what formal training is with these guys. If you can look at your dog training program that way and then approach how you design your program, you can find that that, that will be in the end get you from point A to whatever your point B is the most directly with the least problems and probably in the shortest period of time, if you understand that. And so my answer to them to answer the, the question. So I had all these dogs. Some were like, gee, you know, they're doing everything pretty right, getting ready to go into the upper levels. And then all the way down to some little knuckleheads that didn't even know why they were out there. <laughs> so now they're having to learn about live birds. So you have, depending on where your dog is, you could have this huge learning curve in front of them. And then when you have the ones that are a little more at the, at the high end of that, now we just have putting things in practice and getting better and better at what we've been doing. But when dogs go into, and I'll just use Upland because a lot of you listening are Upland people. That's going, there's so much. And I just want to break this down. I tried to break it down to them, but there's so much in, let's just take that. There's, there's, there's so much in going into an Upland field. Now I know it's very easy to not really think about all that because most people are either they're just going to compete or they're just hunters. So they're all about the end result. They're all about bagging birds and if you're competitive in a short period of time. But that's not, that's the kind of the athletic part of that stuff. The academic part of upland hunting is uh, all important and is very large. And I'll just give an example of this. So when a dog goes into an upland field, for one, and again, this is my training. I know a lot of people don't do this. They need to be connected with me. They're hunting with me, not in spite of me, or if they could get away with it, not with me at all. They have to hunt with me. That means they have to stay in a reasonable range, whatever that range. You know, the better they are, the bigger that range can be. They have to be in that range, and they have to go in a direction that I, the hunting party is going, you know, where we can't be, we have to use the wind, use, go approach the wind correctly, right? So you got to know that stuff. So you know how it impacts your dog. Then that's what they learn to use. Again, I've said this so many times. I don't teach a dog to quarter in front of me. I teach a dog to use the wind and gather as much information as possible. So depending on what direction relative to the wind we're going, if we're going directly into the wind, they're going to go back and forth across. 
because they're going to get the most data that way. If we're going crosswind, then they're going to do a little bit more of a loop in front of me as they try to gather as much information from the wind as possible. That's a thing they have to learn. And they don't learn by you mechanically moving them. They learn by when they start to understand they're looking for birds, then they begin to understand how to use the wind, right? That's the new guys, they don't know anything. They're just out there wondering what's happening. Um, the older guys immediately adopt to the wind and begin to move in a way so they can start gathering information, also going in the direction that we want to go. Now that's a lot of stuff before you even get started. And they don't know that in the beginning. And just because they are upland trained to, or bred to be upland hunters does not mean they know all this stuff. Any more than our college soccer players come knowing how to play soccer. Right? There's a lots of stuff that they have to learn first. Then they have to learn about the different smells. There's field mice out there. There's meadowlarks out there. There are, there's all kinds of little critters out there. There's where some, at where I am, you know, turkeys might have sat down there overnight. So there's this turkey smell, and then there's lots of deer excrement and all that all, everywhere. Okay, they have all of this data that they have to begin to learn about and differentiate. You know, you, we're not out hunting meadowlarks. So a new guy might smell a meadowlark and, and engage with that, and eventually they learn no. It has to be a game bird and not, not the other stuff. And so they, they have to learn that and they have to learn just because you went by a particularly nice smelling pile of, of deer excrement does not mean we stop there and have a snack. They have to learn those things. They have to be able to differentiate smells. Then you refine that more. They have to differentiate between where a bird is, where a bird was but is no longer, where a bird might have been all night but now has been gone for a while, or where somebody put down a bird and then it left. So the, there's all these different degrees and types of smell. They gotta learn that stuff. That's a, a lot. <laughs> that would be a lot for you and me. And we have a little more thinking ability. So now they have to learn that. And then when they do find one, you know, Wait, depending on your training program, for me, I just let them find it and figure stuff out because they've got to noodle out the dog-bird relationship themselves. So they've got to find, find the bird, and then if it flies up and you want them to know that finding a bird is good, then you shoot the bird so they get the retrieve because they should already know that before they ever get here. So that if you shoot it, they get it, bring it back to you. And then, now for the pointing guys, you get a little bit of that so you know why you're looking for the birds. But then, you know, you're, if you're a pointer and you start pointing that stuff, you can't point for one or two seconds. So then when do we stop shooting and what do we do when my pointing dog goes in? And what, how do we teach this dog, if it's a pointing one, you know, what the expectations are? You can't just automatically require that they act like a dog that already knows how to do all this. So there's all of that. And then if you have a flushing dog, you know, are you going to, in the beginning, you got to let them flush and chase. But then after they know that, then you got to have them not chase because there's no value to chasing. And then they learn, you know, if I shoot it, then you go, all that stuff. Okay, I'm not, enough of the upland lectures. There is tremendous amount of information. And a dog going out in the upland field has to think about 
staying in range with you and taking responsibility for themselves. Again, you can teach dogs that you are not going to do all the work, that it's their job. That's a very non-difficult thing to teach. They have to learn that. So they have to be aware of your presence and your direction. Be aware of the wind. Use it. Be aware of the different kind of smells. Be aware of the expectations when the right kind of smell comes along. That is a tremendous amount of stuff. So when I take my dogs out that are in training and we go do something like that, particularly now maybe when they already know all this stuff and we're practicing, okay, that's one thing. And when they're in that middle ground where they're figuring all this stuff out and they need many exposures to learn, it's not, hey, I had my bird, dog on bird three times, we're ready. You know, that's, that's they know some stuff, there's so much more. And it takes time and exposure to get it. And then when you have the new guys, and they don't really have a clue. And they just kind of go out and go, that, I know it's fun. I, wow, what was that? Okay, so you're just at the beginning. So depending on where these dogs are, if you have a dog that, that is beginning to figure this out, and you see them responding and staying with you and doing the things that you want, particularly if you've taught this from the ground up, from basics, instead of just throwing them in and trying to teach it all at once. You know, that's like you're taking your college athlete and putting them in the senior classes. There's some value in all those ones that have come before that. So I, I vehemently disagree with just throwing a dog in the upland field and it just, all right, you're going to hold your point and you're going to do this and do that when there's so much stuff they haven't learned. But when you go out and you do that for a number of those dogs, particularly those ones in the middle, that is all they're going to do that day. No matter what, no matter how much, I have a bunch of extra time. And I, so if I can now, I can go over and do some water stuff or I can do something with them. With those guys in the middle, I'm not going to do that. They're going to get back on the rig and then depending on stuff, they might stay there. Or they'll go back and go into the kennel or one of the yards or something. And they're going to just percolate on what they did. They are, these are dogs, all right? These are not human beings. All right, now we have our 8 o'clock class, then we'll have our 9 o'clock class, then we'll have our noon class, then we're going to... It's not... They can't do that like we do. When there's some stuff where it's part intuition, part ancestral DNA coming out, part training, part exposure, if you really understand a dog, let that just sort of sit there and be what's in their thinking and in their experience for the rest of the day. Instead of having a dog go out there and begin to, however they do it in their minds, begin to put these things together, the movement through the field and the smells and the difference and how all of that stuff, when it begins to start to gel and it becomes something that, be, that makes sense to them and is a behavior they're now developing, if you went immediately, and then now let's go over to the double T, and I'm going to force you to the pile, and I'm going to do this and that, and we wash mentally and emotionally over that really nice gelled semi-solid thing that we got in the morning. Okay, we just wash right over that with this more forceful stuff that's also part of retriever training. I, I will almost never do that. There might be some dogs where I would, but I would almost never do that because then it's just going to wash over and they're going to end this day of training and in their lives on that whole oh boy when she says back I gotta go and oh I gotta stop on a whistle or whatever it is. 
So if you really, in training a dog, a training program should not be uh, created because of the time you have and, okay, it's sunny and warm, so I'm going to do this. As, as much as, you know, mm, as tempting as that is, well, I have an opportunity to do these two things today, so I have to take it. Okay, be aware. Be aware that sometimes that's okay and sometimes you're hurting yourself with it. Because being in a hurry, trying to take advantage of a, of a fleeting situation is going to set back your training program, particularly in the heart and mind of that dog. If it's something that's got a lot of elements to it, you are better suited by letting that, just, that dog sit there with that, and it kind of just absorbs in. That's all I can say. Then the next day, it's a new day, and dogs, it's a new day. Now you want to go do some of the more formal stuff. You want to work on steadiness. On, uh, you want to wool break. You want to do stuff. Go do that so that it is by itself, its own activity. And if it's a lot for the dog, what you're asking them to understand and the behavior you're asking them to acquire, if it's a lot, then do a very good, thorough, fair job at teaching that. And then if you got to do something else, go for a walk through the field. You know, just do something. Do some hand-thrown somethings. Something that's a relaxation where we're not mess bumping into that freshly learned stuff. Just leave it alone. I've seen a lot of people, because the, the local club has a lot of training days here. And, you know, I have technical ponds. It's so nice to have, you know, in your training. And people will go do, they're here, oh, they're here and now we're going to do this, and we're going to go over here, and I'm going to do some swim by, and then I want to run some channel blinds, and then I want to, and, and they're going to take advantage of the whole time because they want to do that because it's important to them. And it's like they have a dog bot, right? Their dog robot. And so I'm going to teach it this, and I'm going to teach it this, and I'm going to teach it this, and I'm going to teach it this, because I have an opportunity. As if this was the same as just writing code for a program, and if you got a little more time to write more code, you just do it. And that, that doesn't work. That's like, let's take our college athlete, right? And we're going to go and, and go to the, the physics quiz preparation, and then we're going to go to the calculus quiz preparation, and then we're going to go to the thermodynamics quiz preparation. And then since we still have a little bit more time, let's get them in there on the um, history of Lithuania quiz preparation. I mean, you're not going to get anything very well with that. It, you're, it, because just because you have the time, okay, we don't have practice today, so let's just do all this that you, you've exceeded the point of diminishing returns, and now they throw something into their head and what they learned earlier just falls out. And that's a human. You would never do that to yourself, studying if you wanted to be effective. And so we can't do that to our dogs either. So a good training program is not one that goes from 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. and that dog is busy all day long no matter what, nor is it good for you with your own dog at home to say, all right, I'm going to just kill five birds with one stone today. I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this. It, it's, not, um, it's not very useful. And then I'm going to address for the umpteenth time, you know, the dog park and the run and loose thing. So you take these young, the uh, Tyrannosaurus rexes, these young dogs, 
of many of the sporting breeds. And shoot, my wiener dog's one of them. I mean, highly motivated, very energetic. My approach to that, having done this a number of times, is not, okay, I got to get this dog a lot of exercise. I got to do that. He can't, they can't be in a crate. They can't be confined. They'll go nuts. They're not going nuts because they're in a crate. They're going nuts because nothing is happening in their brain. They aren't having to go to class at all. And if you don't go, you go to college and you don't have to go to class, you know, all you got to go do is whatever the workout is at the end of the day, then you're going to start partying and having fun and getting into trouble and just trying to occupy all of this energy, particularly mental energy you have, because there's nothing utilizing it. There's nothing draining it away from you. So to everybody with a young dog, everybody, the answer isn't just to run them a whole bunch. As a matter of fact, for the most part, that is counterproductive. Because, if, because again, the problem most people have with their dogs is they're not making them go to class. They're just going out on the soccer field and playing, you know, or pick up basketball or whatever it is, and they're not going to class. So if they have a lot of energy and they're a lot of motivation and they're like little T-Rexes, one, you should have a place to confine them, a, a, a kennel run ideally, a place, you know, a yard, something where they can be by themselves and safe. They're not tearing up the sprinkler system. They're not eating the drywall. They are just there. If you're going to have one of these kind of dogs, you need to have some place where you can put that dog. And I know, and crates are okay, unless you're going to be gone for hours. Then that's not really fair to a dog. Plus you can get, uh, you know, urinary tract infections and things like that from dogs having to hold stuff much longer than they are really meant to do. So if you have a dog like that, yeah, to have a place you can put them, they're going to be okay. Not forever, but they have water, a place to lay down out of this weather, you know, preferably not rocks if they're rock eaters. Got to have that. And that should become part of their day. And when you put them in there and they're by themselves and you start that early, they will be okay by themselves. And every dog on the planet Earth should know how to be by itself when it needs to be. And if you start that early, then they will have it. Next, the greatest energy drain on an animal is mental, is a mental drain. And anyone who has done this, would, will, every one of them will agree with me. You have a dog that's real crazy-minded, ADHD brain, which so many of them are right now. When you have a dog with a crazy mind like that and you let them go do crazy things that where they don't have to think, which is your dog park or your daycare where they just throw it out with another dog all day long. When you do that, yeah, they're running mindlessly around, chasing, none of it, none of one activity of running around with other dogs is one that's going to benefit you down the road. Not one. Not if you're a hunter, not if you just have a pet. But people think, well, they're good. They're spending a lot of physical energy. And yeah, they come home tired. And you know what's inside that brain? Nothing. Nothing. They're just waiting for the highlight of their day, which is not with you. It is with the pack of dogs that it likes to run with. And that grows and expands and becomes their greatest source of joy. And you are food and water in a place where they sleep. Well, I don't know. That's not good. 
So the biggest drain on an animal's energy is if you make them sit down in your algebra class and learn some stuff that it, they don't even, maybe it's not fun necessarily. Some dogs love learning anything. Some dogs just eat that up. And others, you're like kids. It's like, no, you're just going to learn this because you have to. So whichever student you have, adjust and still make them go to class. Take your little dogs and put them on a leash early, not an expando leash where in which you teach them to pull and not, for me, not a harness because that doesn't address the problem of you need to walk with me without me making you do it or doing it for you. Teach the little guys to walk on a leash. They're not young. Young ones can't have a choke chain on. Uh, later, just have, teach them, hey, you just got to walk with me. And when I stop and say sit, sit you got to sit. Every dog in the world ought to know that. And it, they have to think. They have to go your speed. They have to go your direction. They have to stop when you stop. They have to pay more attention to you than anything else. And so they have to think, and they're getting moved. I always tell people, if you run or walk, teach a dog to go with you. Now, little tiny puppies can't go very far, but as they get bigger and older, they can, preferably on a packed dirt surface as opposed to concrete, because that's a real unnatural surface if, surface if you're going to spend very much time. They don't have Nikes on. Teach them to think and get exercise at the same time. So running a dog doesn't mean... Take them out to the open space, turn them loose, you run, and it just all over with you. That's what you're teaching. <laughs> it doesn't run around me anywhere. You know, then it can go chase a coyote or something off. And I mean, at your side, with you, your speed, your direction. If you teach that early, you have it forever. If you didn't teach it early, it's going to be a little harder to teach. Teach it in a couple days. And teach them to, uh, and in my obedience video, I show everyone how to do that right in front of your eyes right there all right this dog's nuts now he's not now he's sitting next to me and th hey, this is how you do it and when you make them have to think all the time that's the biggest energy drain in the world and then for those of us with retrievers right then you you know you go you sit next to me looking out i throw something you go get it you come back until they're force fetch and stuff you can't have perfect delivery always sometimes with some dogs you can't teach them that stuff you have to think you have to wait till I say something and then you have to go do it not for your own just run around happy go get it come back that's a pleasure and then when you teach them that that's the fun but if you let the wild chaos run around uh you know and they make noise and stuff chaotic thinking that's what you have and you don't fix chaotic thinking with wild chaotic activity you fix it by making them have to sit down, gather themselves, and think. And that's a hard thing, particularly the first time you ever try it with a little Tyrannosaurus Rex. It's not very easy. And you're going, I can never do this. I, and you got to do it anyway, right? At, figure out a way, out of necessity, to save your dog's life. Figure it out. And don't do it for a bacon bit because that's not going to help you in the future. Teach them that when I tell you to sit, you just need to sit. That's far more respectful than the, the bribery deal, but that's another topic. So if you got to use a treat to get them in the start, do it, but then stop that because they need to sit because you said. You know, just like the reason you pay taxes, not because somebody gives you a, a bunt cake for it, but because 
You have to do that. And the dogs need to sit and work with you because that's how they stay alive and don't get run over by cars or attacked by some mean dog. So that stuff is, is real important. So my whole point on all this stuff is dog training is not exactly what people think it is. And running wild is not good for anybody, anywhere, anyhow. And if you don't know how to make a dog think and listen, then find a good source for so where you can learn how to make your dog think and listen. That is the single best thing you can possibly do for a dog. So in a training program, when you are training your dog, don't use your own motivations to design up the day. Okay, I have this much time, so we're going to work on everything. And we're going to drive over here, and we'll do that, and then we'll do... Don't do that. F assess all the elements of your training program that you have, not from your perspective, but from your dog's. I only say that a million times, and I don't know if it really gets across. So there's some dogs when I go in the upland field and they go out there and I get, you know, before I go out there, I already teach them, stay with me, move through the field. I teach them that before we ever actually do any bird work. So that's a clearly understood thing, right? And so there were, if somebody ever drove by and saw me out walking through the field with a dog, I'm training hard. Mess looks like nothing, right? But I'm training hard teaching that dog, stay with me. That's about our range. You start doing it on your own without me. I have a whole podcast on how I do that. I have two of them, I think. We have that veil understood. We also have on our retrieve. When a bird, and we do, I do it with frozen birds. When a, when a bird goes down, you go get it, come back to me, sit down, hand it to me. I don't go out in the field till they'll do that. So I've had a lot of work that came in before that. So there's a lot of stuff in their little heads going out. And then we introduce the live birds, right? So this is a new thing. I have no expectation, none. I don't care if I have the dog out of the greatest breeding of upland dogs in the planet Earth or the worst. I go out there with no expectations because that's so harmful to your dog. I just go out and sit back to watch what this dog does when I provide the opportunity for it to encounter live bird smoke. It's moving through the field the way I've taught it. It's staying with me the way I've taught it. And then I make sure that that happens to be right downwind of a planted bird. And then I just see what happens. I, and it, you go in there with expectation, that's in, imparted to your dog. So if you go in there and you're, oh, he's supposed to do this. It's not pointing. Why isn't he pointing if you have that? Or what, the bird flew and he rent the other way. Oh, my God, this dog is no good. All of that is a total waste of time. Because this is a completely unknown thing. It's like if I just took you and dropped you onto the surface of Neptune, you know, you'd be going, okay, what is this? I don't even know what to do. Can we breathe? You would know nothing. That's how it is for these guys. So you have to let them discover that. And it might, it might scare them. It might, they might not even register ever, any possible thing. Just take it in and note that about your dog. Give them another opportunity, expose them to another bird. Come back next week and do it again. There's so much learning. One, your dog is learning about live birds. Two, you, if you're smart, will be learning about your dog by sitting back with no expectations, just watching. So when my new people saw us out there, I, I, I'm, and no one ever does until they spend a little time doing it, realizes how much is going on. 
<laughs> there's so much going on. You know, how much does the dog understand what we're doing? You know, how much do they know to use the wind? How, there's just so much going on. And frankly, if you're force-fetching a dog, if you're te teaching basic obedience, if you're doing the, the tea, if you're doing swim by, if you're teaching them to run blinds, so much more than you are aware is going on out there unless you sit down and think about it so that your awareness expands to include what your dog is actually experiencing. And if you can do that, then, you know, maybe the activity you did on your first morning training session is just good for a day. Call it good and go for a run with them. And if it wasn't, if they just nailed it, nailed it, nailed it, nailed it, really got it, all right, then think about, all right, maybe we should go on over and we'll work on some our pattern blinds or, or we'll work on wool breaking or whatever you've got, some technical thing. But the function of how much a dog has worked every day and what happens is based entirely on, one, in part, the time that you have, of course, and the resources that you have available. That, that's that's a number one, I guess, for all of us. And then the second thing is this dog's learning thing. How is it going? You know, is the dog getting things or not getting things? But to do that, you have to be aware of all the things that the dog has to get. And so setting up a training program requires far, far more, I think, often than people realize. And so when you aren't ever sure what to do or if things are going right, it's going to be because you're not aware of all of the stuff that your dog has to experience and learn and what it is to them versus what it is to you. So that's kind of, I don't know how to, how to caption this topic here, but it's, it's designing a, a training program for your dog and understanding what's happening uh, to make sure that you don't underdo it or overdo it and that you're seeing things the right way. And it can be done. You don't have to be gifted. <laughs> you don't have to be, oh, you can just read a dog. You know, in the beginning, no one can do it. And then the, the, the more you work on it and put your ego and yourself out of it and get into the, the, the shoes of that dog, the better that you'll be. So that's my answer to my new people. It's like, I don't know. It depends. <laughs> that's about all I could do. So that's today's. Um, springtime is coming. Test seasons are starting. Things are happening. Um, I look forward to meeting a whole bunch of you at the various tests around. I'm going to be on everywhere this year a lot. And I look forward to meeting a lot of new people and seeing a lot of good dog things. So everyone take care. Stay safe. Stay healthy. And G and I will be back soon. <laughs>